0: People got into good conversations, it looks like. All right. How many people's plans involve going outside in the beautiful weather? Woo! Yes. All right. High five like we did earlier. Nice. Very cool. Excited for you. I'm excited today because we have one of our teaching team members here, Pastor Aaron. He has been a pastor for a long time in his life right now. He's a banker by week and a preacher by weekend. He's a... I know. (laughs) He's a part of our church community, and we have a few people on the teaching team who aren't on staff, but who give us the gift of their preaching skills and gifts and calling. And uh, Aaron is clearly called in this way. I really look up to him and his preaching and communication, and so I'm so grateful for you all to hear from him today. So can you welcome Pastor Aaron? Well, good morning. Uh, Like Stephanie said, I'm Aaron, and I'm a non-profit banker by day. Um, I'm really excited to be here with you, and I'm looking forward to meeting you if I haven't had a chance to say hi to you yet in person. Um, So come say say hi to me after the service. I'd love to meet you. Um, But before we get going, I want to ask a favor. Um, Like I said, I'm a nonprofit banker, and a couple of my customers the last few weeks have been going through some incredibly hard times, like really hard times. Um, And so this week, I've been very distracted in my preparation. Um, So... I'm going to ask that you would join me in a moment of silence as we collect ourselves and kind of, you know, acknowledge all the distractions that, are, that exist in our life um, and invite the Holy Spirit to be with us so we can be present together. Uh, so I invite you to, to take a moment of silence with me and then I'll open us up in prayer in just a moment. Holy Spirit, on this day, we remember also that today is the day of Pentecost, the day when uh, we were gifted your presence because of Jesus. We remember that we are now connected forever to you, Father, Son, and Spirit, Um, and that we have you in our lives and our hearts as a deposit of the eternal life that we get to have with our Savior, Jesus and so we ask, Spirit, that you would be with us this morning, that you would empower us to be present to each other, to be vulnerable with one another, to be open to your moving and your grace. Jesus, we love you, and we worship you now with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and all of our strength. In your name we pray, amen. <clears throat> okay, well, health officials and professionals have been sounding a pretty significant alarm now for some time. Uh, see, a growing epidemic has been Growing precipitously here in the United States, especially over the last decade. Uh, Those affected by this epidemic face disrupted sleep patterns, they face altered immune systems, increased inflammation in their bodies, and dangerously high levels of stress hormones. Uh, This epidemic is known to accelerate cognitive decline in the elderly, and it increases both the frequency and progression of dementia in elderly patients by upwards of 50%. One recent study found that it increases the risk of heart disease by 29%, stroke by 32%, and is the physiological equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes per day. All told, it far outpaces obesity and smoking as the leading cause for early death, and many of us in this room Right now are in the fight of our lives against it. The epidemic? Loneliness. Loneliness. When I first taught about loneliness back in 2017, roughly 25 percent of the population, one in four people, believe that they have no one to call when they get a bad diagnosis or find themselves contemplating a major life change or when they suddenly win the lottery. Today, that figure hovers closer to 50%. 50% with no one to call. And that statistic holds true regardless of age, race, gender, religion, socioeconomic status, or even marital status. Loneliness is everywhere. You can find it in our neighborhoods, our offices, our schools, our retirement communities. It's at the gas pump. It's in checkout aisles at grocery stores or Target. It's behind the Starbucks counter. It's in an office filled with coworkers, in high school chemistry classes, or college dorms filled with students. It's even in a church filled with people. Our deepest desires to love and to be loved are fundamental human needs. This connection is as essential to survival as food and water and shelter. Humans need connection. Because God created us for connection. See, right from the Bible's very first chapter, we see that while God was creating the world, God would regularly step back and admire the work of his hands. And again and again, God would create something and pronounce how good it was. The light, good. The land, good. The trees and trout and seas and snails were all good. In fact, the only thing in all of creation that God didn't think was good was a person alone. It wasn't that Adam himself wasn't good, but that Adam by himself wasn't good. Because people were created to be together, we weren't created to be alone. We were created for connection, to be in healthy, life-giving relationships, to know and to be known. And so God created someone for Adam to connect with. And it was very good. Genesis 2.25 says that the two could be completely naked together. Physically, spiritually, emotionally exposed to each other. And they felt no shame. This isn't just a statement about marriage, though marriage, of course, could be included in this. This is a statement about human identity. It's a statement about how the world was meant to be, where there are no barriers to connection. No division, no skepticism, no biting sarcasm. Almost impossible to believe, right? Impossible, because even in the beauty of God's original design, Adam and Eve inexplicably chose another way. And in so doing, they became disconnected. Disconnected from God, from the earth, and from each other. No longer were they safe and free to be exactly as God had made them without fear of judgment or critique. No longer were they free from judging looks or demeaning comments. And suddenly the relational realities of bickering and disrespect, jealousy, slander, manipulation, emotional withdrawal, and cutting words, they all creep into our shared story. And it wasn't long before Adam and Eve were lonely, hiding from God and from one another. And for the first time in history, humanity felt the bite of loneliness. And since the fall in Genesis 3, everyone at some time or another has felt the result of this. They felt disconnected. Everyone in history has felt the pang of loneliness at some time or another. And recently, it's only gotten worse. You know, my 15 years of vocational full-time ministry, loneliness was by far, by far, the most common pastoral conversation that I had with people. People in every life stage face loneliness. Though they statistically have more free time than at any other point in their life, Today's teenagers are some of the loneliest people on the planet and report feeling more lonely today than they have at any point in recorded history. It's not an exaggeration to to describe this up-and-coming generation as facing the worst mental health crisis in decades, driven in large part by a lack of meaningful, deep connection. But this isn't limited to today's teenagers. College students wrestle with intense loneliness, especially in their first year of school as they struggle to find their way and make new connections while hiding behind their smartphones. And then four years later, everyone just up and moves on to the next life stage with their new jobs and new cities now dealing with drastically reduced discretionary time, which is a very, very drastic reduction. And suddenly, right, they're as lonely as ever. But now with less obvious places, time, or energy required to make these new necessary connections. And I get it. The temptation might be to think that those who are unmarried have a burden that is worse than those who are married. But having been married for over 15 years and having worked with dozens and dozens of married couples, I can confidently say that marriage alone doesn't eliminate loneliness. Instead, it often just rearranges the kind of loneliness that you feel. I mean, marriage can just as easily multiply feelings of loneliness as it can take them away because nothing is as an agonizingly lonely as sleeping just a few inches from someone you just can't seem to connect with no matter what you change or how hard you try to fix things. So let's have a kid, right? <laughs> because kids will make me feel less lonely. But the reality is that for as much joy as children can bring, having children makes maintaining relationships even more difficult for parents who quickly find that they lack the time or energy required to sustain these rich and meaningful friendships. And then as their children's age, today's parents often enslave themselves to kids' overcrowded schedules, schedules that their children often never asked for all in the pursuit of offering our kids every opportunity. Dr. Richard Schwartz, a University of Cambridge psychologist, once said that when people with children become overscheduled, parents don't shortchange their children, they shortchange their other relationships. Add all this to the unrelenting demands of work and pressures to stay connected to extended family, it's no wonder that many friendships and marriages and even communities start to unravel over time. And then in the twilight years, after the kids have moved on, empty nesters suddenly find themselves bereft of the connections and purposes that they had devoted so much of their life to for so many years. After painfully discovering that they had long ago sacrificed what had been close relationships and community for the life they thought they wanted as a parent or as a professional, they suddenly find themselves lonely. Lonely. All of this to say, often, our loneliness is the hidden cost of our other priorities. An extra degree, a job of prestige in a different city, travel every weekend, an excessive need to be plugged into the internet or video games or TV shows or social media, a need to live in a better school district, even though it's miles away from friends or family or the community that they've established having children involved in a million activities, and yet we expect that fulfilling relationships will somehow just magically fit into the margins. Margins that we've slowly been eliminating. You know, in the debits and credits of relational transacting like this, we often fail to account for the sacrifices that relationships always require. And so our longings for love and belonging remain largely unfulfilled. In large part, Because our other priorities have priced them out. We're almost never alone, but we're often lonely. But here's the thing you're not alone in feeling alone. Many of the most spiritual people throughout history, Moses and Job and Jeremiah, Elijah and David, jolly old Saint Nick, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Martin Luther King Jr., Brennan Manning, Mother Teresa, all the saints, all of the saints wrestled with loneliness at times. Even Jesus himself suffered from loneliness. Anyone here ever had an experience where you felt completely unseen by someone who's supposed to know you and love you? I mean, like, really know you and love you? You've been lactose intolerant for 40 years, and still your parents offer you ice cream for dessert when you eat with them. (laughs) You move here from the coast and talk with your friends about how much you desperately miss the ocean, and the first thing they say to you is, yeah, but have you been to Lake Superior? Not the same. (laughs) You've shared how difficult it is for you to have a baby. And still, all your small group wants to talk about is birthing stories and Junior's most recent developmental milestone. The people who should know you the most seem to see you the least. Talk about lonely. And I think this is exactly what Jesus is experiencing with his family of origin in Mark chapter 3. So if you brought your Bibles with you, I invite you to take them out. Uh, we're going to look at uh, Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 21, and then 31 through 35. Uh, because, and we're going to look at the loneliness that Jesus felt, because I think this is where things are at between Jesus and his biological family. For as much as they know Jesus, they aren't really seeing him at all. So let's take just a moment to read this Uh, fasting story you. Mark chapter 3. Hear the word of the Lord. And I'm reading from the NLT, which is different than the NIV, but it'll be close enough. One time, Jesus entered a house, and the crowds began to gather again. Soon, he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus and someone said, Your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. Jesus replied, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he looked at those around him and said, Look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother brother. And sister and mother. This is the word of the Lord. Did you catch that opening line in verse 21? Jesus' family wants to go and take him away. And another equally valid way to translate this would be to say, Jesus' family went out to take charge of him. Or you could say, Jesus' family went out to seize him. Or even, Jesus' family went out to arrest him. Now, we don't exactly know what it was that made Jesus' family so concerned about him that they'd go to such extreme lengths. Uh, Maybe they heard about all the crazy that Jesus was doing. Maybe it was embarrassing that their son and brother was out shaking the hornet's nest, confronting authorities and teaching and healing and casting out demons, all the while just totally ignoring time-honored traditions and cultural norms. Maybe they were just upset Upset that Jesus was shirking his responsibilities at home. I mean, come on, Jesus, it's your turn to do the dishes. He was supposed to care for his family and his own neighbors, not the crowd. Or maybe they were just really concerned about him. Worried that at the rate he was going, he was going to get himself hurt, imprisoned, or worse. We don't ultimately know what it is that put Jesus' family over the edge like this, or what caused them to want to put an end to his shenanigans. But what I am convinced of, though, is that when his family made that 20 mile trek on foot from Nazareth to Capernaum, I am convinced that they were convinced that they were doing the right thing, the helpful thing. And when they tried to take charge of him, they thought they were being sensible and that Jesus was literally out of his mind. I love you, Jesus, but enough is enough. It's time to pull the plug. It's over. Jesus, go home. You're drunk. All his miracles, all his power, all his teachings, all his love, and yet the very ones who should have known him the best, who should have understood him the most, totally missed him. Talk about lonely. And as his family stood outside the door, I wonder if there wasn't a fair amount of emotion behind Jesus' words Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? I know it's in the white spaces here. I kind of wonder if while looking around at all those people who had traded everything to follow him, giving up careers and material comforts and blood relationships, it wouldn't surprise me if while looking at all these faces, Jesus remembered Psalm 68, that God places the lonely in families. I wonder if Jesus didn't look around the room and realize that his truest family, his closest family, was actually already sitting right next to him. Because Jesus, in super uncharacteristic, I mean like super uncharacteristic fashion, immediately answered his own question. Who is my mother and my brothers? Here, here are my mother and my sisters and my brothers Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. In other words, Jesus' answer to the loneliness he felt was to create a whole new family. And this, this is what Jesus' church was always intended to be. The family of God. But take a look at that last sentence of Mark 3.35. Because unlike a family tied together through birthright or a membership class, the tie that actually binds Jesus' family together is joining in God's mission to redeem, reconcile, and renew the world. From his very first pronouncement, Jesus' stated mission was to eliminate whatever barrier kept us from being connected to God and to each other. Jesus' mission was to be so unswervingly faithful to eradicating loneliness that he would kill on the cross anything that kept us from God and each other and he would bury it all in his own tomb so that everything that keeps us disconnected from God and each other could finally and forever be removed. Jesus' mission was to overcome all the sin and shame that's kept us disconnected from and hiding from God and each other making a way for the lonely And lost, the sinful and the shameful, you and me, to be rejoined into God's family forever. And when we join Jesus in his mission, when we participate in bringing love and joy and belonging to the lost and lonely world, Jesus promises an answer to our loneliness. He promises us a new family, an eternal family. A resurrected family that will last longer than bloodlines ever will. The gift of the gospel to those of us who are lost and lonely is simply this. Sharing in the mission of Jesus creates eternal family. A family not connected by biology, but one connected by the blood of Jesus shed for us. And to those who do the will of God, for those of us who follow Jesus in this life and through death, well, God promises a seat at the family table forever. Because Jesus' answer to our longings for intimate, familiar, familial bonds is simply this. Whoever does the will of God is my brother, sister, mother. And that's great. That is world-changing news. But what does that actually look like, right? What does it look like when someone does the will of God and finds the connection they were created for? Like Pastor Stephanie shared earlier, we'll be spending the next entire summer looking at ways that we can be a family on mission together. And over the next few weeks, we'll have lots of time to discover practical ways to be part of God's family on mission together. But today, though, Today I'd like to share a story that illustrates what this can look like, a story that has had profound impact on my life and who I am. And so if you permit me, I'd like to introduce you to two of my absolute heroes of the faith. This is Irene, and this is her husband Lawrence, holding my daughter Elsie, about 10 years ago when she was first born and meeting them for the first time. Irene and Lawrence were not my grandparents but they were like surrogate grandparents to me. Irene and Lawrence loved kids, and when they were empty nesters, they saw a growing need for affordable daycare in our town, an affordable daycare that my parents desperately needed. They saw a growing need for a safe place where kids like me who had working parents or guardians could be well-loved and well-fed and well-taken-care-of in Jesus' name. And after some prayer and planning, Irene and Lawrence decided to open up their home to neighborhood kids in need, kids like me. And out of their love for Jesus, they faithfully sacrificed time, freedom, and lots and lots of money to take care of us from 7 a.m. until 5 p.m., five days a week. All told, I was with them most weeks from the time that I was six weeks old until I was able to stay home by myself. Which means, if you think about it, right, who I am, how I think, what I value, how I pray, what I believe, how I understand hospitality, how I show graciousness and love was demonstrably set because of their faithfulness to the mission of Jesus. And what's so amazing to me about their story is that even though Lawrence could have retired at 65 and gone out to play golf like all of his friends did, Lawrence didn't. Instead, he chose to stay on at his blue-collar job, picking up extra shifts just so he could continue to financially subsidize the daycare that they both ran. You know, all told, more than three dozen kids ended up staying with them for various lengths of time throughout their 15-year ministry. Lawrence died earlier this month at the ripe old age of 99 years old. His funeral was just this last Saturday. Literally standing room only in the funeral home. In their own unique way, Lawrence and Irene participated in the mission of Jesus and loneliness knew no home in their house, which is something that I am profoundly and forever grateful for. And though it pales in comparison, it's because of their influence in my life that I spent years volunteering at a preschool in Massachusetts on my only day off throughout the week. This is a picture of me with the class that I was there with last before I moved here. It's unbelievable. It's because of their influence in my life that you'll never see me in the sanctuary on a second Sunday of the month because I'll be downstairs with Lena and Lucy and Lydia and Ruby and Silas and Ian and Fritz and all my other four and five-year-old friends downstairs in the K-Prep room. And you know what I've learned right along with them all this time these last couple years? I've learned that Jesus is right. God made us. God loves us. God saves us. That's the pre-K curriculum in case you didn't know. And I can be having the worst week. I mean, literally, literally, the very worst week. But when I step into that room with my youngest friends, good night, but I never leave the same. And I never leave feeling lonely. Because the gift of the gospel to those of us who are lost and lonely is the joy and connection that comes from participating in the family of God on mission with God. And I wonder then, how might you join the family of God on mission with God? Now I'm guessing that not many of us are probably going to go out and start an affordable daycare tomorrow, although maybe some of you will. That'd be awesome. And most of you probably aren't going to you know, rush to the cafeteria or the, the dining hall here and immediately sign up for children's ministry But side note, totally do it because it is by far the best thing to do. I would take that over this any day of the week. (laughs) I mean, I love this. Don't get me wrong, but that's even better. But don't miss it, right? I tell you these stories to illustrate the fruit of Jesus' amazing promise. That the antidote to loneliness is God's family on mission together. And there are so, so, so many ways that we can participate in that mission. And when we do this, when we do the will of God together, when we stand for justice together, when we sacrifice for each other together, when we bring meals to new moms together, when we build picnic tables at the Hope Ab Shelter together, when we open up our messy homes and our messy kitchens and our messy lives to the least, to the lost, and the lonely together, when we love in truth and in action together, when we do this, when we join in Jesus' mission to renew, reconcile, and reconnect all people and all things to God and one another, well, like Irene and Lawrence discovered, like I've discovered, we will never be without family. So today, in whatever way it makes sense for you, I invite you to join the family of Jesus and choose this day how you might do the will of God by loving Jesus, by serving our neighbors, and by celebrating the life that God has given us together. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, what a word for us today. At a time when more of us are feeling more lonely than arguably at any point in history, Jesus, we need the life and the love and the connection that you have promised to give to us by virtue of your love and graciousness towards us. Jesus, it's not anything that we do that will earn our place with you. It's simply your love for us that makes us worthy of belonging. And Jesus, we ask that you would help us to welcome each other to your table that we would help each other to realize that we are not alone, no matter how lonely we feel, that you are with us and that we are together with you. Be with us, Jesus. Encourage us this day. Remind us that you put us together, together as a family on mission. Jesus, we love you and we give all of our life to you, all that we have. It's in your name, Your strong name that we pray these things. Amen.